have the uh, pleasure of introducing today's speaker. Uh, she is known by most of you. She was a pastor here for many, many, many years. But recently, she uh, has started a full-time uh, union uh, theological seminary um, uh, degree course. So she has left to pastorate. And uh, she hasn't spoken in a while because of that, but she has learned a ton. And she's been telling me about all the exciting things, in, just really uh, eye-opening, some very interesting things. And she's going to be telling you uh, today about uh, one of the things that she has learned, that she has made her own, the river way of thinking about some of these things. And so I'm very excited to hear um, my wife, Caroline, preaching. So here she is. Yay. Good morning. Okay, I'm told to stand right here. It's great to see you. It's been almost two years since I spoke here, and um, it's great to be in the new space speaking to you in person and online. So many of us come to church because we believe that God is working in the world and in our lives in some ways. Right? <laughs> when you think of God and God working in your life, then what image comes to your mind? How do you imagine God working in the world? Does, God, does he look down from heaven and see how you do? When I first started believing in God in, my, in high school, I thought of God as like a consultant, somebody that I would go, I can trust, when I need to make a big decision. And the Bible describes God also with many metaphors. Father, mother, Lord, king, warrior, rock, fortress. They describe certain aspects of God by comparison because God is beyond human language and understanding. Um, but while God might be like a father in some ways, God is not a father. God can be like a fortress in some ways, but clearly God is not a fortress. The, the symbols sometimes mix together in our mind and contradict each other and lead to confusion over what it might exactly mean that God is working in my life. So today I wanna to talk about God's relationship with the world. It's not as easy to speak with a mask on. <laughs> so this is an important topic, God's relationship with the world, because it, how we see God's relationship with the world and with us changes everything. It affects our understanding of ourselves in relation to God. It affects our understanding of what it means to live with faith. It changes how we engage with the world, people around us, and the planet we live on. 
And this is something I've been thinking a lot about and trying to understand better. And it's partly why I went back to school. And last semester, I got to learn about a new way of seeing God and the world. It's called the process theology or relational theology. And it has challenged and deepened my understanding of God, who is with us always and loves us unconditionally as we talk about at the river. So today I want to share with you what I've learned and um, by reading the first story in the Bible together with the fresh eyes, Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is the first of the two stories about creation of the world in the Bible. So it is one of the ways that the people of, of God imagined how the world was created. The story is often understood as the depiction of the majestic power of God who created everything into existence um, by speaking it. But read closely with the different lens, it tells a story of God partnering with the world. God and the world create together and become together in call and response interactions. So let's start with the first few verses. Let me read it for us from Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. So this very first verses, these two, of the Bible has been a topic of debate among scholars because of the different ways you can translate it. Traditionally, the verse is often translated as the first, the first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. And interpreted as God creating everything from nothing. But another very valid translation, which more and more scholars agree with, is the translation in NRSV here. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void. Or, as noted in the footnotes in NRSV version, it's a little more clear. It says, when God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. Now, it doesn't sound like there was nothing before creation anymore. Right? There was the uninhabitable earth, a formless void, and the deep primordial ocean when God began the process of creation. The deep, dark, primordial ocean in the very beginning of the Bible. It feels 
unsettling, threatening maybe. But the primordial ocean is deep and dark, not because something sinister is lurking in there. We tend to associate darkness with evil. Not always true. But no, it's dark because it is unknown. It is unformed and indeterminate. It is just possibilities, what can be. And possibilities can feel dangerous and threatening sometimes. And over that face of the deep, unformed possibility, the wind of God moves. The Hebrew word ruach can mean wind, spirit, or breath. So we can say the breath of God moved over the deep ocean, assessing possibilities and potentials, maybe even whispering the visions of what can be. Then the breath becomes words and God speaks. Let there be light. And there was light. Let there be light is such a familiar phrase, a sentence, right? Um, that we can miss the inviting and encouraging tone that's used here. God is not commanding, but suggesting, giving permission, making space for it. God lets the light be. And there was light. Where did it come from? Perhaps from the deep, dark possibilities brimming there. As the story moves, God's invitation becomes more explicit as the world becomes more complex. So after the light and the sky, air, are created in the first and the second day, on the third day, God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God doesn't move the waters with God's might, but lets the waters move. God invites, and the waters and the other elements respond to God and the dry ground appear. The story continues. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with a seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and tree of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. It's the earth. You see that? It's the earth that puts forth vegetation, not God. It's the whole world, I assume, the earth, air, sun, 
light, everything, together, they create space for the earth to put forth vegetation. And the plants sprout with their own seeds, and the fruits with their own seed in it. Why so much emphasis on the seed? Um, with seeds of their own kind, plants also have the possibilities to create within themselves, like the earth, and to participate in the continuing process of creation. And every time something new is created, the story says, God saw that it was good. As if God, too, is seeing this for the first time. Like God did not know exactly how it would turn out. Even though God calls to the world with the visions of new creation, it is the world who responds with a yes to the visions and executes and offers this new creation back to God. God then sees, delights, and affirms the new becoming. Then God takes it all in again, calls to the world with a new vision, inviting into what it can be from there on. So the story continues with more and more. It is the picture not of the all-powerful God who creates everything with a snap of the fingers, but of a God who works with the world as it is and invites it into possibilities the best it can be in that moment. God calls, and the creatures respond. They choose. Every moment, the world becomes. The world puts forth more life, diversity, beauty. And in this epic dance, God and the world and every being in it are partners and co-creators. Process theology argues that this process of becoming, the process of creation of the world, depicted in Genesis 1, continues on now and reflects our reality. Every creature becomes every moment. And the reality is made up of these events, these becomings, your becomings our becoming. As uh, process theologian Robert um, Messel said, says that he, we arise out of our past, out of our relationships with the whole world each moment. We arise out of our past. We're limited by our past but not entirely. And with our relationships with the whole world, we take in 
and interact with all that is in our world as we become. And this means that in our becoming, the world becomes part of who we are. The people in our lives become part of who we are. And in every moment of our arising, God is intimately involved. God whispers to us and invites us to toward what we can be. And we sometimes say yes to God and sometimes no. And when we choose to say yes, God becomes a bigger part of who we are. We're in a grand web of dances, twirling with God and the whole world, choosing what we will become each moment, and these moments become who we are. As theologian um, Catherine Keller said, our responses become us. So I've talked some, a lot, and let's pause here for a moment before we dive into the practical suggestions and let this new kind of reality sink in. So close your eyes, if you will, and let's try to visualize. You are rising out of your past in your relationships with all that is in this world. People, environment, family, friends, human and non-human neighbors, culture, climate, your own thoughts and feelings, dreams, hopes, and needs, desires, And with God's invitation to what you can be in this moment, imagine yourself arising anew each moment. Imagine others arising anew each moment. And the accumulation of these moments become who you are we are. Okay. I hope this speaks to you. But so then, what does that mean for us practically? What does it mean for our life that we are becoming every moment? How does this understanding of uh, understanding help us live out our faith in God? I have three practical suggestions for you to consider today. Listen deeply, choose courageously, and do everything in love. So the first, listen deeply. If we arise every moment out of our past in relationship with the world and through God's divine lore, our deep listening to ourselves, to the world and the people around us, 
and to God becomes crucial to who we become. And when I say deep listening, I mean what the theologian Keller calls a spiritual practice, to listen and not yet to know. We can either listen, having already decided what we think of ourselves and God and the people around us. Or we can listen with real curiosity and respect for those we listen to. We respect that we can never fully know them for their becoming every, every moment. In process theology, God is omniscient, omniscient in that God knows everything there is to know, but God does not know what we will choose the next moment. There's, a, there's real freedom here. A choice to make each moment, however insignificant. Don't we sometimes say, even to ourselves, that I don't know what I will do in a situation like that when we hear of some stories, right? We don't even know ourselves fully. We cannot know others fully. And God transcends our understanding. Yet that does not mean that there, we cannot learn more. We can know some things and there's always more to learn about ourselves, others, and God. So listen deeply to yourself, to the world, and to others, and to God. Here I want to say a few words about listening to God. The river, we often talk about listening to God's voice through prayers and journaling. And I used to lead those workshops on these topics. And whenever I did, people always asked me, how do I know if God is speaking to me? This is an important question, but also it reveals our misconception and insecurity about God, which I share. We wonder if God would speak to us. We wonder if we are good enough, we're special enough. But what I'm saying today is that God is speaking to all of us, all creatures, all the time. We should assume that God is always present. And ironically, it might be that God's voice is so constant that we have a hard time noticing it or distinguishing it from our own voice. And in some sense, if we are listening, really listening deeply, perhaps it doesn't matter so much who we are listening to, ourself or God. We need to listen to them both. Still, it is helpful to be able to have a sense of who is speaking. So here is my tip in listening deeply to God. Listen to yourself first. 
Maybe write down or pray out all your thoughts and feelings, hopes, desires, and worries, all that comes to your mind. Unprocessed thoughts and feelings still influence our choices, so getting them all out is very helpful. And it also helps us to quiet our mind so we can deeply hear God. Notice the faint whispers of the divine invitation. So after writing down all your thoughts and feelings, take time and see if something comes to your mind. See if any thoughts, feelings, or images come to you that feel new. You might hear nothing, that's okay. You can try again the next day. Just remember that God is always speaking and speaking with love. God is love always for us, others, and for the whole world. My second suggestion is to choose courageously. The choice is ours. God cannot make our choices for us. Not choosing is also a choice. My spiritual director once told me that the dilemma of life is that we do not know, yet must choose. Isn't that so true? We cannot guarantee the outcomes of our choices. Faith is not about securing good results. Faith is about choosing courageously for love because we know God is always with us and that we are an intricate part of this universe. So this brings me to the third suggestion, do everything in love. Though we cannot know God fully, one thing we can be sure of is that God is love. Even when we cannot discern God's voice, we can be sure that God's voice is speaking to us about love. Loving others, loving self, and moving toward connection and belonging. Do everything in love. The story of the creation in Genesis 1 tells us that we create our life and our world in partnership with God and in relationship with all that is in the world. Every moment we're becoming. So my prayer for us as we begin this new year is that we will listen deeply with humility and choose courageously to love God and love others as ourselves, our neighbors near and far, human and non-human, who are distinct yet inseparable parts of who we are. Thank you.